Well, in this series, it's called Before I Go, and the big idea is simply this, that the day before Jesus was executed on a Roman cross, he had an extended conversation with his disciples, his closest followers. And one of those followers named John would later record the conversation that Jesus had with his closest followers that that day. And in essence, as you look through what John records, it's almost as if Jesus is sitting with them saying, guys, before I go, there's something you need to know. Before I go, you need to know some things that are going to be happening, and you need to know what the plan is moving forward. He recognized this was a time where things were going to change for them. And so in these weeks leading up to Easter, we we, uh, settled on this several weeks ago, that we would have a series called Before I Go, and that we would work through these uh, conversations that Jesus had with his disciples the day before he died. Now, before I get into today's topic, I just want to make a general observation and maybe share some behind the scenes too. And it's simply this. We picked this series weeks ago. Like before coronavirus was permeating every aspect of the news, before we, we heard about these things called shelter-in-place orders and all this stuff, we picked this well before any of this was even a thought on our minds. And yet what I'm finding is that as we go through this series, the, the topic and even the text that we're working through are amazingly relevant for the situation that we're going through today. In fact, as I put this on the screen, you're not going to believe that this was planned weeks ago, but one of the things that Jesus talked with his disciples about the day before he died was he he sat down with them and he said, guys, before I go, you need to know that a crisis is coming. And there in that upper room, as he was celebrating the Passover with his disciples, he went through and he prepared them for a crisis that would be coming for them. A very specific crisis, a unique crisis that he wanted them to be aware of and he also wanted them to be prepared for. Now, I just want to be clear, this isn't a crisis where he was talking about what we're going through today. It's, it's a different feel. It's a different crisis. But here's what I discovered as I dug into this text from John chapter 15. What I found is that even though their crisis is different and has a different cause and a different effect, how Jesus walked them through it and how he prepared them for it still speaks clearly, clearly for us today. But maybe the chilling part of it was that as Jesus was preparing them for this crisis that was going to be coming up for them, as we look into John chapter 16, here's how Jesus recognized it would end. John chapter 16, at the very end, Jesus says, A time is coming, and in fact has come, when you will be scattered each to your own home. I think part of us can relate to that today. Some of you watching this are literally barricaded into your house and you've got all sorts of toilet paper to last you about three months and I don't know why that's a thing, but we, we, we're barricaded behind our homes. Some of, you, some of you are in a work field where you're forced to go out, but otherwise you're kind of confined to your house when you're not working. At a large scale throughout our country, we can actually relate to what they had to go through because of their crisis. But again, I want to be clear, their crisis was much different than ours. But how Jesus prepared them for it speaks so much into how we face what's going on in our world today. 
And also, I want you to know that even though this, the, the topic of this message might permeate with the coronavirus and there's a lot of application there, I also want to acknowledge that there's a bunch of maybe different types of crises that we can go to. While some of them permeate the entire world, some of the crises that we go through, they're just ones that we alone know about or maybe a few people have to deal with. And what Jesus shared with his closest followers the night before he, de- he died is something that's going to speak life and direction into you and me. And the first thing I want to acknowledge is the bottom line that we're going to get to today. It's that every crisis can have a purpose. Every one of them can have a purpose. Now, right now, some of you might be thinking, yeah, but in this crisis, I don't even think God is there. This is proving he's absent, or this is proving he doesn't love us. And if that's where you're at right now, I want you to know this is the right place for you to be, because we're going to talk about that tonight. Where is God in a crisis like this? Or some of you are thinking, this is just some theological truth that doesn't really apply to my life in any way. And if that's you, this is the right place for you to be also, because we're going to talk about how this is so much more than just a concept. But in fact, I want to make this personal right away. If You're watching this with a group of people. It might be awkward. If you're listening to this in a podcast as you're walking along the road, it might also be awkward. But try it out. Try it out. Could you say these words with me? Next slide. Could you say this with me? Ready? My crisis has a purpose. My crisis has a purpose. Even if my crisis is more just an inconvenience, and it's a crisis for everyone, but an inconvenience for me, my crisis has a purpose. My crisis right now in the world, however big or small it might seem, has a purpose. The crisis no one knows about, but I've been struggling with for quite a while, it has a purpose. What Jesus prepared his disciples for was a much different crisis than what you and I would ever have to go through, but how he prepared them gives us structure and it gives us direction for how we can react, both as individuals and as the church today. So as we get into this, I want to get out of the way. I want to show you what Jesus told his disciples the night before he died. He's telling them, guys, there's something you need to know. Before I go, you need to know that you're going to face a crisis. And the crisis had everything to do with the persecution. Now, to set the table for you, to set it up, this is in John chapter 15. And in John 15, it's a really um, consistent flow of thought where it starts with this idea. He says, since you're connected to me, This is where Jesus talks about he's the vine, we are the branches. Remain in me. Like that's a big part of the first part of John chapter 15. He says, if you remain in me and since you are connected to me, you will be loved. A big part of John 15 is where he talks about this new command to love one another just as I have loved you. And so he talks about this beautiful way that the church gets to show love to one another. But then as he does that, we get to the part we're going to look at today. He says, but the other thing about it is something you should know. Before I go, you need to know that since you're connected with me, you won't just be loved by one another, but you will be hated by the world around you. And this hatred for you is going to push you into a crisis that I need to prepare you for right now. And here's how Jesus started it. Here's how he continues in John chapter 15. He says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. And 
if you're not in a church or if, if you're not uh, connected at a church, this might be one of the reasons because passages like this really seem to be judgmental against the world. But actually, if you look in the context of John chapter 15, and especially this section, Jesus is not just talking about the world out there and how they're all sinners, but Jesus is specifically targeting, get this, religious people. People who knew God and supposedly were supposed to be ambassadors for God, but these were people who were supposed to be sharing God's truth with the world, but Jesus is pointing them out as people who are adversaries, people that hate him and hate his disciples. So he says, if, if, if that happens, if the world hates you, don't think you're doing something wrong. They hated me first. If the religious people out there hate you, you're, it's not because you're doing something wrong. They hated me first. And then he goes on to explain it a little bit further. He says, if you belonged to the world, if you were part of them, it would love you as its own. But as it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world, and that is why the world hates you. And this part of a crisis is something that many of you can relate with, perhaps even right now. Sometimes the crisis pushes you to a place where you are going through a lot of emotional uh, uh, emotional crisis. Or I put it this way. Uh, sometimes a crisis is more of an emotional crisis where, where the people around you, because they've rejected you, it's now causing you to wonder who you are and how valuable you are. And this has a deep emotional impact on who you are. Uh, sometimes as, as you go through some crisis in life, you might think to yourself, everyone is rejecting me. And when that happens, you go through a crisis of identity you begin to ask the question, well, who am I and who do I have to become in order to please other people? And in this section, Jesus is saying, no, no, no. If people hate you, it's not because you're doing something wrong. You don't have to change. Keep in mind that they hated me first. And I think that wisdom is so helpful for us as we go through maybe a, a small crisis or a big crisis that's more uh, emotion-based where we are driven to a place where we feel rejected and lost. Jesus says, I know what that feels. I've been there too. And he goes on to give some application in just a moment. In, in verse 20, he says this, Remember, remember, before I go, I want you to remember this. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, past tense, he's just talking about what they've done so far. If they've persecuted me, they will persecute you also, for they do not know the one who sent me. If they've been rough with me, the word persecute literally means to press into. It means to try to stop someone by, by a systematically going through and oppressing them from different angles. You're trying to push them in a certain direction. And so far, Jesus can just point to examples of where they've tried to do that with their words. But the next day, the disciples would see this from a completely different angle. This persecution would take on a physical nature. Jesus goes on. As it is, they have seen and yet they have hated both me and my father, but that is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. They hated me without reason. What Jesus is getting at is that when he talked and when he did what he did, it's not as if he went out to offend a bunch of people, but in fact, it was the opposite. Jesus came with compassion, with love, with grace. He, he helped the people that no one else was loving. 
And so as Jesus came to them, it was in grace, it was in the perfect perfection of truth, and there was nothing about him that people were offended. In fact, there was no way they could even point to anything he had done wrong deserving of death. They hated me without reason. And, so, and, and that led to persecution and ultimately to his death, which brings up another form of crisis. We'll skip the next slide. Um, it's, it's this idea of a physical crisis, that uh, there's something physically going on that's causing a crisis. Now, for the disciples, it would become a very personal crisis where some of them were beaten, flogged. Uh, all of them, almost all of them, were eventually executed. This was a very physical crisis. For us today, it looks a little bit different. Maybe for you, one day the doctor gave an ultimatum and he said, or she said, if you don't change now, this is your last chance. And because of a physical crisis, you are forced to change the way you thought about your body. Or maybe, maybe you're viewing yourself as a new normal now. There is no going back to when you were healthier and younger. Now you just have to deal with who you are and what kind of a body you have. You have a physical crisis that you're living through. And as you think about your situation, your situation, maybe even today you can look around you at some loved ones or some people that you know in your, your neighborhood and you say that they are going through a physical crisis at this moment. And as you think about that, I want you to know that Jesus knows what it's like. He predicted things like this would happen. But what if what we started with is true? What if there is purpose in every crisis. Uh, we're going to skip the next slide too. I, we got them a little bit mixed up, and since we're doing live stream, I can't fix it. But uh, Jesus said this. He said, um, we'll skip one more. If I had not done among them the works I did, uh, what, what would we be doing? Uh, we would be skipping some slides around and uh, making, <laughs> making some jokes. Uh, but he, here's what Jesus said. We'll, stop, we'll, start, we'll start here. We'll do a reset. If, if I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. What he's saying here is if I had not done what I did, if I had not shown them that I am truly the Son of God, that I am who I claim to be, then they would have an excuse to reject me. But as it is, they have no excuse. So here's kind of the application for the, the disciples then. They would inherit the love of people who loved Jesus, would now love them, but the opposite is also true. The people who hated Jesus, they would inherit that hatred also. Because of their connection with Jesus and because of their relationship with him, as long as they stayed connected and remained in him, they would receive the negative as well as the positive. So where they stood spiritually, where they stood spiritually made, a Christ, made crisis an absolute certainty. It was only a matter of time until they would be faced with persecution and with trouble. Now I want to make a quick connection to you because the same is actually true of us, although for a, a different reason as we'll see in a moment. The same is true of us. Number two on the sheet, times of crisis are inevitable because of something spiritual. Crisis comes to us and it's, it's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when it will come and when it'll happen. And here's where we start to ask some really good questions, I think. You see, with the coronavirus being spread like it is and with it having such an impact on every area of life, some people are asking a really good question. And this is a question that comes up at different times in life, and no matter how often we search for an answer, we always struggle with it eventually again. The question is this, why do bad things happen? 
And we did a message on this uh, quite a while ago. I invite you to go back and look at it. But the quick answer is that the answer we come to does not satisfy us very much. Bad things happen not because God is absent or God is angry. Bad things happen because we brought this into the world. Mankind brought this into the world. Uh, the, the way that we were created and the way this was designed was that when mankind was brought into this world, it was supposed to be this perfect relationship where God would love us and we would love God. And as you see in the garden, love requires a choice or love requires obedience. But instead of obedience and love, what mankind offered him was disobedience. There was this gap that was created. And because of this gap, this isn't the world God designed it to be anymore. There's, 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 there's evil, there's pain, there's suffering, there's bad things that happen. So the, the answer to the question is really simple. Why do bad things happen? It's because of us, because we created that gap. But a better question, I think, in times of this, and a question that will lead to a deeper place, is this. What does it mean when bad things happen? We know why bad things happen. The answer is really easy. But what does it mean when bad things happen? And maybe let me start by telling you what it doesn't mean. You see, we can turn to Adam and Eve and figure out why bad things are in the world. But we have to turn to their descendant, Jesus, to figure out why bad things are still in the world and what they mean for us today. You see, when Jesus came into this world, he did not come as a judge to proclaim judgment on the world, but rather he came as the Savior. Uh, that gap that we created between us and God was a gap that he filled with his sacrificial love. When he died on the cross, he was taking that debt that we had incurred against God. And because of that, I can stand up here this morning and tell you that your sins are forgiven. There's no sin that Jesus didn't pay for on that cross. Your sins are completely forgiven. So what I can tell you is that when it comes to crisis and when it comes to bad things that happen, I can tell you what the purpose is not. The purpose of crisis and the purpose of bad things is never to punish you. It's not like God has his thumb over you right now and saying, this world better shape up or else. That's not how God deals with the world because if God's favor with us depended on our obedience, we would have been destroyed a long time ago before any of us were born. But rather, God deals with this world through his grace and through forgiveness. And as such, the purpose of any crisis is not to punish. Perhaps, at most, the purpose of a, of a, of a, of a crisis or of something bad, God can use that to push us, to propel us, to chastise us, to bring us in a certain direction. But what I want to get at today is the actual purpose. Every crisis has a purpose, if you bring God into it. And it begins when you understand what a crisis will do to you. I put it this way on the screen so I wouldn't forget. A crisis takes you where you never planned to go, and it makes you do what you never wanted to do. A crisis will make it so that your life plans that you had spelled out are now changed drastically because there's no other option except for the, the new path that this crisis has laid out. A crisis will change what you do to the point where you're doing what you never intended to do, you never wanted to do. Some of you, if you're in a financial crisis, you are, you are um, going to a place where you never wanted to go, to bankruptcy. Um, if, if some of you are in a health crisis, you're going to a hospital and you're staying there longer than you wanted to stay. A crisis will push you somewhere you never wanted to go and it will make you do things that you never intended to do. 
But with God, that doesn't have to be a bad thing. Let's go back to Jesus. He's talking to his disciples, and they're about to face a fierce persecution. And in his own way, Jesus is telling them, you're going to go somewhere you don't want to go. You're going to be forced to do things that you never thought you'd have to do. But this is what I'm going to build my church on. A church that's built on opportunities that only a crisis can open up. At the end of John 16, Jesus, as he's wrapping up this whole idea, he says, I've told you these things so that in me, in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. In this world that's broken by sin, by this gap that still exists between us and God until God makes this world new again, there's this gap. You will have trouble in this world. There will be moments of crisis, big and small. But in me, there is peace. In this world, there is trouble. I've told you these things so that you'd be found in me. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And with that one promise, his disciples that next day would face a crisis that they had never thought would happen. They are forced into their homes, isolating themselves. And for three long days, they sat there unable to move because of their fear, the fear that the crisis had worked in them. But I'm here to tell you some good news that their fear was overcome by something bigger something more powerful. One day, Jesus came among them, one who had died but now was alive again, and suddenly they got it. The crisis they were in was nothing compared to the power of him who had been raised from the dead. And as you go on through the the story of these 11 followers of Jesus, they had this passion, this zeal, this fire to go and share the good news of what Jesus had done, not just to quiet the religious leaders, but someone who had forgiven their sins and had given them the gift of life even after death, this resurrection life. And they couldn't help but, but share the good news of what that meant. And so you go through the, the story of how the, how the 11 were sharing the news, and then one day 3,000 came to hear about Jesus and, and believe in him, and the church was growing and growing and growing until one day an even bigger crisis hit. There is a, a disciple of, of uh, Jesus named Stephen, and, and he was doing what he could do. He was sharing the good news of Jesus, but despite him being a faithful follower of Jesus, the world hated him. The religious leaders hated him, and they put him to death. And this marked the beginning of a great persecution. Um, Acts chapter 8 records what happened. It says, On that day when Stephen was killed, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the eleven apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. There was this crisis that hit the church, and the church was scattered. And you might think this is the moment where things died out completely, but not so. In verse 4, it goes on to explain what happened. Then those who had been scattered did something wherever they went. Now, how would you finish that sentence? If your life was threatened for being a follower of Jesus, and you had to move to a different state, what would you do? They kept quiet wherever they went. They laid low wherever they went. They secluded themselves wherever they went. They built monasteries and kept to themselves wherever they went. No. When you look at what those people did, even though they were faced in a crisis, what they did was courageous. What they did 
was miraculous because they believed that even if they would die, they would overcome death because of what Jesus did. So wherever they went, those who had been scattered preached the word. They shared the good news of Jesus. And so in case you missed it, this was a moment where people tried to destroy the church, but by trying to destroy it through a crisis, they only made it spread further and spread faster. And I'll tell you what, I'm seeing the exact same thing happen to this day. Not because of a persecution, but because of a germ. (laughs) This is forcing us into seclusion. What this means for the church is that we now have to deal with the fact that we can't gather people together in open rooms anymore, at least for, for a while. And this is forcing us to push out the message of Jesus in different ways and in new ways. And just from my experience and what I've seen in other churches, churches that had no digital blueprint before are now live streaming the good news of Jesus to the communities and to the world around them. What an amazing time in Christ's church. The the crisis has an exceptional purpose. And one would say that the bigger the crisis the bigger the the purpose that God might have in it. So I can see this having a big purpose, but here's my question for you. I want to make this personal. As you consider where you're at today, maybe it's a virus thing that's your big crisis, or maybe it's something more personal that only a few people know about. Would you think about that for a moment and then ask this question? Number four, what purpose will this crisis serve? What's the purpose of it? And here's where I want to acknowledge, and we'll we'll wrap things up. What I want to acknowledge is that with the way things are, for a lot of us, life right now is more in a place where we would say, we're not really in crisis. It's more just that we're inconvenienced. And, And there's fear and there's concern, but we're taking steps that we can take in order to better protect the world around us. Um, for, some of, for some of you, you're in a season of life right now where this is just making things worse. You were already in crisis mode to begin with. Money was already tight. The relationship was already stressed. You were already trying to look at, at other options, but you had none, and now this is on top of it, and you are empty. I, a- I want you to answer that question or think about it. What purpose will this crisis serve? The good news is that when God is with you in the crisis, there's not just the hope to bring you out of it, but when God is with you, there is purpose to be found within it. Maybe your purpose is to join with a local church and double down on our ability to reach out with the gospel and push it out in virtual ways. Maybe the crisis that you're personally going through is an opportunity for you to grow yourself physically, to grow yourself emotionally, to grow spiritually as you lean in to who your father is and what Jesus has done for you. But there's two general categories that we're going to find ourselves in, and I want to acknowledge both of them because each of them has a purpose. In, in a period of crisis, you might be in a position where you can fill up other people. You have enough toilet paper for the neighborhood, and so you can fill up their toilet paper reserves. Or you have enough financial resources where you can help others in times of need. Or you have the bandwidth to spend the time to help someone out. Some, some of you are in a position where you can fill up others and, and have your purpose be that. But I also want to, want to acknowledge the, the opposite. For some others of us, we're more in a position of being filled up. We are broke. We are aimless. We are sick. We can offer nothing. We need the help of others. But what I want to remind you of 
is that there is purpose in both of those. Whether you are filling up someone or whether they are filling up you, this is an opportunity for the church to demonstrate the love that Jesus Christ has shown to us. The one who sacrificed himself for us is now alive in us. And being connected to him means we're connected to that love. Will there be times of crisis in this life? Yes, it's inevitable because of our spiritual circumstance. We are dead in sin. We're in a sinful world. But with every, every crisis, there is a purpose. And this week, I encourage you, if you can, meet with your growth group virtually. Uh, we'll we'll uh, have some exciting news coming up for some groups that, that uh, can open virtually, and we're going to create as many spots as we can. But now more than ever, we need the resources of being together as a church. And if you're not a part of our church, find a church in your area or reach out to us, and we'd be happy to help you as we can. Because whether you're in a, in a position to fill up others or you're in a position where you need to be filled up, you need to be helped, This is a time of great purpose where we as a church get to practice and exercise the purpose that God gave to us to share the good news of what God has done, but then also to love one another as he has loved us. Let me close today's message with a prayer. Dear Father in heaven, I pray that even though we're meeting virtually here, that this is a, a moment where we can understand that you are present And I pray that in this season of life where so many of us can be going through a crisis, maybe a big one, maybe a small one, uh, um, that you would help us to find your purpose for it uh, as as we try to navigate through it. I know that for some of us, it's not easy. For some of us, we're going to be forced to go to a place where we never wanted to go. We're going to be forced to do things that we never thought we would have to do. But I pray that you would allow us as a church to fill that gap for one another to love one another, to be there for one another, and not just for the people within this church, but for our community and for the world. I pray that you would bless this time as your church is forced to do things differently. Let this be a season of great growth where we are pushed to to get this word out about forgiveness in new and different ways that, that even more people can hear about. So that at the end of the day, years from now, Maybe we will look back at this season in life as individuals or as a group and say that was the time when God's purpose for me became clear. That was a season where he grew me like none other. And that was a time when I filled up or was filled up and my purpose was made so clear. Father, I pray all those things knowing that you have overcome this world through Christ and that one day we'll be with you in heaven because of him. It's in his name I pray all those things. Amen.